What is happening, good people? Welcome to the very first Sports Cards Anonymous podcast. I'm really excited to bring this one to you. It's going to be a long, unedited podcast, just like any other podcast. And uh, we're not going to do any face camera for this. Uh, it's a lot of effort to be on the camera the whole time. So what we're going to do is, uh, you know, if you listen to this through a podcast source, of course, you're just going to hear it. But if you're on YouTube, um, as I talk through charts or stuff like that, I'll edit it. To pull those charts in so you can see all that stuff so don't even worry about it you're going to get to see all that but you're not going to get to see my beautiful face which was recently cut by the missus i'm recording this at about halftime of the chargers raiders game my goodness how do two nfl teams pay five billion dollars for a stadium and a little bit of lightning and it shuts down the whole the whole game there's a 30 minute delay for the raiders chargers game because there was lightning. And now you may say, well, if there's lightning, that's dangerous. We don't want to get the players to have, be struck. Yes. However, SoFi Stadium is a covered stadium. I just I don't understand how they can pay $5 billion, cover a stadium, and uh, they got holes in it. So, uh, you know, a little bit of lightning, we got to pull the players in. Just a bunch of craziness to me. How about this? NFL, from now on, every stadium that goes up, has to be um, lightning proof. Lightning can't sneak into it because we don't want 30-minute delays on national games, especially when a stadium houses two teams, both of which are frequently featured on national television. Oh, my goodness. Enough complaining about that. Uh, so the way this is going to work, I've got a few segments planned, got quite some long show notes. We're going to start off with news, and we'll go from there. So let's just dive right into it. Now, some news... Y'all know by now, we're going to talk about Fanatics. Um, you know, a lot of details have kind of come out about Fanatics here recently uh, over the last week or so. And shout out to, you know, another podcast, well, a podcast, Sports Cards Nonsense. They actually got quite a bit of details. Uh, they received emails from Fanatics directly and from Panini. Uh, and these two um, sources uh, provided a ton of information. Um, so let's talk about first what Fanatics is saying in their email to Sports Cards Nonsense. Um, they stated that Fanatics has started a new, well, this is a fact. Fanatics has started a new trading company to, to design, manufacture, and distribute cards with the MLB, MLBPA, NBA, NBAPA, and NFLPA. Now, there's something worth noting here, and this was actually the email from Panini. The Panini representative actually explained this, because I actually did a video on this talking about how it was weird to me or at some point we would expect to see Fanatics uh, complete a deal with the NFL because when you when you when these companies complete deals with the leagues, the MLB, the M NBA, and the NFL, they get rights to use um, the jerseys and the logos uh, in the cards. When they get rights to the PAs, MLBPA, NFLPA, and NBAPA, they get rights to use the players' likeness and name. So. Fanatics right now only has a deal with the NFLPA, not with the NFL. However, Panini, you know, I guess elaborated on this. When you sign a deal with the NFLPA, that works the same as, as signing the deal with the NFL. So at this point, Fanatics has exclusive rights from MLB, NBA, and NFL to logos and to players. You know, starting when these contracts start, you know, I think that a variety of start dates, but I think from like 2024 through 2025, somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, we also saw where Fanatics is value the, the card company. So, well, let me break that down a little bit more. 
they said a new trading card company. So, you know, we, we've talked a few times about Fanatics potentially buying Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, whatever, and they may do that. But, you know, at time of recording, they're starting a new trade, a new card company from scratch. And they want to design, manufacture, and distribute cards. They want to own that whole supply chain, which I really like, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but let's just talk about the ownership of Fanatics. Um, so they, they got that $10 billion evaluation based off of a $350 million funding. Well, if we think about that for a second, $350 million is 3.5% of $10 billion. So that $350 million is now owned by various investing groups. And we know that Fanatics owns 80% of that company, of the sports card trading company, right? The Fanatics trading card company. And so they own 80%, which is roughly $8 billion valuation of the $10 billion. And the remaining, there's a remaining 16.5%, the remaining 16.5% of equity is held by the leagues, the MLB, the PA, uh, the NBA PA, and NFL PA, right? So that remaining 16.5% is held by the PAs and leagues. And so I just thought that was interesting to note you know, we, we do know how much the PAs and stuff are, are holding in the company at 16.5%. Now, people are investing with Fanatics because of their vision for what sports cards is going to be. You know, we've quoted a few times the estimate. Um, currently, the sports card hobby is worth roughly $13 billion was an estimate. I forget who, who did it. It was, it was a reputable estimate, though. And they think that in five years, it'll be worth $97 billion. That is a lot of growth in five years. I mean, that is a lot of growth. And I think a lot of that has to do with Fanatics' vision, which they explain in this email to Sports Cards Nonsense. And I think probably the most interesting thing out of this email was that whoever wrote this for Fanatics told these guys that Fanatics wants to be a one-stop shop for trading cards. They want to be how you buy cards, how you sell cards, how you finance cards, how you break cards, how you grade cards, and how you store cards, etc. Those are their exact words. Buying, selling, financing, breaking, grading, storing, etc. And I do want to talk about these for a second because I think some of these things are good and bad. You know, a lot of people were, <laughs> look, I like free market economics. And I like capitalism. And so a lot of that tells us that, you know, monopolies are bad. But, I mean, frankly, a monopoly, a monopoly is bad when it has power over its consumer base. Sports cards, in my opinion, a monopoly in sports cards does not give you power over your consumer base because when you look at how sports cards, how it is, I guess, how would you put it in a, in a budget bucket? I would put it in a, in a bucket of entertainment. And so if sports cards gets to the point where it's not fun because Fanatics is doing a bad job, well, screw sports cards. I'll go collect something else. I'll go spend my money, you know, doing another hobby, doing something else. And I understand all that you don't want to do something else. But the other side of this is that they only have a monopoly on the manufacturing, designing, and distribution of new cards. You can still buy, sell old cards without Fanatics. So they, they do not have a monopoly on the sports cards market. What they have is a monopoly on the design, manufacturing, and distribution of new cards. 
And so I don't think they have a true monopoly. And we're going to talk about why I think Fanatics doing this is actually going to be good for the hobby. And I, I think there's a lot of things to be excited about. You know, one thing, when we talk about that $10 billion valuation, you know, Panini was valued at $4 billion or $3 billion, I don't remember now, and Topps was valued at $1 billion. So let's just say combined, that's $5 billion of valuation. And it's doubled when it's going to Fanatics because Fanatics is thinking bigger than Topps and Panini. You know, for the last decade, people have complained about Panini, quality control, how bad their cards look. I know I have. Tops, you get a lot less complaints about Tops, but Tops has, has just kind of let time pass them by. I don't think they've really done enough to um, to push the, the boundaries of, of what they could do here in the industry. And I think that's why I think that's how Fanatics was able to come in and sweep from under them the licenses to all these partners. And so when we look at that, you know, people are going to say, you know, I think people who look at the Fanatics deal negatively would look at it and say, Fanatics paid to have a monopoly and now they're going to uh, push their will upon us, their customer. I w I, you've got, I, you know, in my opinion, there's parts of that that is you're almost right. But you, I would just change some words around. Fanatics has invested a lot of time, energy, and capital into this market. It is in their best interest that this market continues to grow and that it thrives over time. Now, you have to ask yourself, let's just say there's 10 million people in the sports cards market today. Is it better for Fanatics to try to squeeze 10% more money out of everybody in the hobby or is it better for the consumer base to grow by 10%? It is always going to be better, and there's going to be more money available to fanatics if they continue to grow the hobby by introducing more people to it and bringing more people in, which, if you're collecting cards now or buying cards, drives the prices of your cards prices up now. And so to me, if you're in the hobby long term, you and fanatics goals for the hobby are aligned. You want long-term growth and success of the hobby. I think a lot of people worry that Fanatics is just going to come in, make everything either super invaluable or make it way too expensive or some combination of both. But I think it's going it is very much in Fanatics's uh corner, you know, it's in their best interest to maintain a healthy environment in the hobby, to maintain a healthy and attractive hobby that attracts more people and allows it to grow. Growth is going to be the most important thing here. So let's go back to this one-stop shop for sports cars. That wasn't their word, one-stop shop. That was mine. You know, in my line of business, I look at stuff like this, consumer experience. You know, I've done stuff like this before. And I like, I really do like the idea of a one-stop shop for sports cars. I like that maybe, you know, let's, well, let's break this down. They said they want to be buying and selling, right? They want to they want to control both, but not control, but they want to be involved with both buying and selling. And most likely, that looks like some sort of platform, like we've seen with PWCC. And later down the list, they do say storing. So you could see where they have a vault. You can buy and sell through their platform. You know, you can hold cards there. You can ship them home, whatever. But also, you would imagine because they're really going to push DTC direct to consumer, which is their model in the memorabilia place. You can imagine where you know they're manufacturing cards and then they're holding the wax, and then they're selling it through their platform, and then you can just store it through their vault system with, you know, whatever that looks like. And so, to me, all that looks pretty good. You know, if I could buy new wax straight from the source, 
And from that same source, I'm also buying, you know, secondhand cards off of other people. To me, that's pretty good. I like not having to go, you know, to 85 different places to buy cards if Fanatics is doing this well. Obviously, you know, and this goes without saying, especially from a second uh, buyer-seller market perspective, the eBay perspective, which is what we're talking about here. When we say PWCC marketplace, I mean, we're talking about being a competitor for the buying and selling that happens on eBay, Starstock, MySlabs, etc. If Fanatics comes in and they just blow eBay out of the water from a, a price point, really talking about fees at this point, you know, that's, that's going to be good. That's going to be good for us because what's going to happen is eBay is going to have to react and they're going to have to lower their fees. And if they don't, our services will go to Fanatics. And then if you say, well, what if Fanatics treats us bad? We still have options. Starstock, MySlabs, PWCC. These guys have, well, not PWCC from a fee point, but, you know, MySlabs and Starstock, I think they're going to be around for a long time because they both have very competitive fee points. And I think there will be a lot of, you know, him and haw about what Fanatics builds and people not liking it. And I, I, I think there's always going to be second options. I, I don't think that Fanatics can just own the secondary market. But I do think that they can, they can put in a, a huge competitive option in the secondary market, which to me is going to be great. To me, that's going to be good for us, right? So I like the idea of, of, of Fanatics having a buying and selling platform that also stores cards for you. I like the idea of, of potentially maybe, you know, buying cards at bargain prices through an auction or whatever and letting it just sit there in store. And also at the same time, maybe I can, you know, sell some stuff, keep my funds on the platform and then buy some wax from Fanatics. Now, I'm not a big wax buyer, but, you know, if I wanted to, I like that that ability is there. I think that's pretty interesting. Now, moving on, another thing they said that they want to be a one-stop, you know, included in this one-stop shop, they talk about financing. Now, what does financing mean? I'm not sure. Does financing look like when Investacard built? I'm not too happy about that, obviously. So I hope that's not the case. Is financing talking about financing like maybe an LCS would need financing to get wax or maybe a breaker needs financing to get wax? I don't know. And is that you know, a normal part of the business that happens? I have no idea. I'm not, in, I'm not on that side. Right? I'm not a dealer. I'm not a breaker. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Working with the distributors, right? Because it does seem pretty clear to me that Fanatics is probably going to cut out distributors. That seems to be what's going to happen. They want direct-to-consumer. They have the supply chain to support that. I don't see why they wouldn't cut out distributors. And, you know, some people may not like that. People have relationships. I understand that. Hey, it cuts out one more step of the process. Probably saves us a little bit of money. I got no issue with it. Sorry. So what does financing mean? I don't know. But they clearly, you know, to put it in there, it's, it's important to them. Whether it's to be the bank of the hobby, whatever it is, I don't know. But, you know, they, they put it out there. We got two more. And uh, the next one's breaking. They said breaking. They, they want to be in breaking, all-inclusive for breaking. Now, I have to be honest. I've been really wanting to buy into a Starstock break. They, they seem fun. I like that it's through a company versus somebody on eBay, which there are plenty of good breakers on eBay. You know, find a reputable one if you're going to do something like that. I'm not someone who really goes into breaks, so I don't do it. But I do like, like that you could do it through Starstock. I like that it can go onto your account, you know, right there. You don't have to get the cars and then, and then break it down and then sell it. You don't have to do all that. So I like the, the flexibility and the ease at which you can participate in a break and sell those cards through Starstock. And I would have to imagine, if we're already assuming Fanatics has some sort of buy-sell platform, that breaking through them would be very similar. 
you know, where you'd have the ability to break through them, they break it on camera, and then they just upload it to your account. You can send it home, whatever. Now, obviously, this is all spec wild, wild speculation, obviously. But if you want it to be a one-stop shop, that, to me, is the end answer. Now, as far as breaking goes, you know, there's a lot of people in the hobby, a lot of people in the hobby who make really good money breaking. You know, actually, on Sports Cards Nonsense, um, the main guy there, I think his name's Josh, I forget. Great guys, though. Sorry if I, I forgot the names. I think he said recently that, you know, he, he's got a company that does $20 million in breaks annually, and he's probably not in the top 20 in the U.S. Just to give you an idea of how big breaking is in the U.S. I mean, that, that is humongous. To say he's doing $20 million annually and not be in the top 20, in his opinion. I mean, breaking is a huge part of this hobby. And there's, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go on to a, a soliloquy here about whether breaking is good or bad. It's, it's fine. It's fine. You know, you can buy your team instead of having to buy a whole box. You know, that seems okay. From a, from a collecting perspective, obviously there's gambling. But, I mean, just straight up buying a box is gambling. It's no different. So being able to just reduce how much you're putting on the line there, you know, I appreciate that. And I don't think it's a bad thing. But for fanatics to want to own it, you know, that's going to be pretty interesting. And I think that for people who are breaking right now, you know, they're probably sweating bullets. You're probably sweating bullets wondering what's, what's this going to look like for me in six years. This is my livelihood. What's it going to look like? And I think it's going to be pretty different. And I do think that breaking, in my opinion, what's going to happen is Fanatics is going to partner with current breakers and probably supply them with product or pay them, you know, to break, something like that. Where maybe you, you buy the breaks through Fanatics, like on their platform, right? But then the breaker is somebody who's one of the more popular breakers in the hobby right now. You know, because, you, you know, people get used to seeing the breakers that they like. People have personalities. They enjoy the breaks. It's entertainment as well as the actual breaking and purchasing of cards. And I don't think Fanatics wants to um, hurt that market. I think they probably want to promote it. So I think the better breakers in the hobby now, who I, I really couldn't tell you who they are, but I'm sure there are people out there that people really like. I'm sure that they will be promoted by fanatics and probably supported by fanatics, right? They'll probably be paid by fanatics uh, to participate in breaks through fanatics. Enough about breaking. Let's go to the last one here, and that's grading. Now, grading is the one I want to take a second to talk about, which I've done with all of them, so no surprise, I suppose. Grading, to me, is the most interesting thing that they put here because I think grading is the one where we, we as a hobby are more likely to draw the line. Now, when you get to financing, again, what does it mean? If it looks like Investacard, we'll probably draw a line and say, we don't really like this, but we're probably not going to fuss too much about it. But then having a platform where you can buy and sell, buying direct from consumer, uh, sending direct to consumer, uh, being able to break through them, being able to store through them, I think all that seems okay. I, I don't think we're going to have too much of a fuss about that. Now, people may complain about the monopoly. I get that. But I just mean, like, in general, having a place that buy, sell, break, store, I don't think anyone would really complain about that. But to know that this is the company that designs, manufactures, and distributes cards, and they potentially could handle grading, I think the hobby is going to have a, a hard time with this. And I think this is kind of interesting. Because if you think about it, when you rip open a pack, right? You, you, you got home from Target, you ripped open a pack, or you know you, something delivered in the mail, you ripped it open. Somebody designed that card, which card integrity, Someone manufactured that card. How well was the card made? What's the QC look like? Someone distributed that card, transported it. 
Was it handled well? What did transportation look like? Did it go in some, some bumpy back roads or was it Cadillac in the whole way? And so that whole supply chain affects how well that card grades. So when Fanatics grades their own cards, there is no question there's a conflict of interest. There's no question. And I think the hobby is not going to support Fanatics grading their own cards. Now something that is really important to call out here. Michael Rubin, the CEO of Fanatics, is an investor in the investment company Blackstone. Blackstone is the majority owner in CSG. I believe it's actually CCG grading. I, think, I believe that's the parent company of the various grading companies. And Blackstone is the majority owner of that parent company. So when you look at it, Michael Rubin, CEO of Fanatics, is part of a group that's a majority owner of CSG. And so I don't see, you know, a lot of people will say it's going to be easy. Fanatics, they're just going to use CSG. They've already got the connection. To me, I don't see it. I don't think the hobby will accept that. I don't think the hobby would accept it. I think it would turn people off from Fanatics, and it would turn people off from CSG. I think if Michael Rubin and Fanatics partners with Michael Rubin and CSG to grade cards, I think it's going to hurt both companies. I think what would be much better for Fanatics, and I think much more accepting to the community as a whole, is if instead of, like we're thinking now, grading cards then releasing them, if they were essentially a giant group submitter that, you know, you're already storing cards with them, and you can just group submit those through Fanatics to SGC, to BGS, to PSA, pick your poison. I think that would be a much more well-received version of owning the grading process in the hobby than to actually be the card company, the, the company in the industry grading cards. I think that would be much better received, and I think that it would give them a lot of leeway. I think people would really appreciate that in general, and to me it's pretty easy. Imagine, you know, you buy the brand new 2025 Football Fanatics set, you bought it through Fanatics, and you asked them to open it for you. They open it on camera for you. You watch them open it. You sip some coffee, some hop toddy while you're, while you're watching them open it. You say, oh, it's awesome. Great box. They upload all the cards to your Fanatics card account. And then you go on there. You select 30 of the cards, and you say, I would like these to be submitted to SGC for grading. They handle the submission process, and they withdraw the money from your funds. That seems like a great process to me. I mean, that seems phenomenal. You don't have to mess with the cards. You don't have to clean the cards. You know, assume, like, let's just assume Fanatics cleans it. And I know everyone's going to tell me, oh, they don't want to damage the cards, yada, yada, yada. If I never touch the card, someone's got to clean it. There's got to be a cleaning service offered. So, to me, that seems great. All of that seems great. Now, obviously, this is sky in the pie. Sky in the pie? Pie in the sky thinking. And, it, you know, wild speculation. But... The people who have negative views on this, it's wild speculation also. I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, how can this be positive? And I think there's going to, I think, I really do believe, I do believe what I'm saying. There's going to be a lot of positivity coming out of this. Fanatics is coming in. They're putting together 
a firm, a, a venture firm, worth $10 billion, taking over the place of two companies that were worth $5 billion. Fanatics has a lot of skin in this game, and it is important to them that they get this right. Everyone looks at them buying things and saying, oh, now they own us, or now they own the hobby, and now it's going to suck. They're not buying, they're investing. They're investing in this hobby. And again, I believe us, people in the hobby today, and fanatics, I believe our long-term goals are aligned. I believe long-term we want the hobby to thrive, and it's done more through growth than squeezing out dimes of other people. Okay, that's enough about fanatics at this point. Let's move on to some other news. Um, you know, something we talked about in the Market Monday video yesterday, uh, modern basketball seems to be moving up. Specifically, modern parallels. Silvers are getting a ton of love right now, things like this. I think it's going to be really interesting as we look to what happens over the next month, let's say. What happens with modern basketball? When you look, if you look at a chart over the last year, and you name you name the modern player. I don't care who it is. If you look at over the last year, you know, through August of 2020, you're going to see two spikes. You're going to see an August 2020 spike, and you're going to see a February-March-ish spike in 2021. And funny enough, if you look at baseball or basketball, you're just going to see spikes at the same time. And a lot of people think, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of op opinion out there, and rightly so, about what's driving that spike is it going to happen now with basketball again this year? I want to say the August and February-March spikes are extreme outliers and so extremely alike, it's wild. The, the, just go back to March 2020. We haven't had sports in, let's say Mar August, August 2020. We hadn't had sports in five months. COVID's been around. We're all locked in our houses. We've watched the, the last dance, Michael Jordan. We're all amped up for sports. And in the same month, baseball, football, basketball come back. The hobby explodes. It was five months of anticipation, building and building and building. And then finally games were played and the market exploded. And then it very quickly cooled off. And then... Come February, come January, December, you know, it's really kind of longer the second time, to be honest, because you have an initial boost at the end of December going into January with modern NBA stuff. And then you have a boost of the GOAT stuff in February and January, while modern NBA stuff mostly stayed pretty high. So you really have about a three-month month, three period where that stuff really got boosted. And... During those three months, you get for the first time in a year an NBA season with some buildup to it, a baseball season with spring training and some buildup to it, and now you got football, which the season is ending, and you're going into the playoffs. And again, the, the hobby has just continued to get so much smarter over time. So many people saw that opportunity, like, hey, we're getting near the bottom of prices here. They started buying football. And so what we see there from, you know, January through March, there's a ton of anticipation for baseball and basketball, and there's a ton of anticipation for actually the following football season, not to mention the GOAT boom. 
So when we look at now what is happening in modern basketball today, we're going to have basketball starting here in two weeks. At the same time, baseball is kind of going into its playoffs, and if we mirror that to where football was at in January, that means it, you know, it could be the bottom for a lot of guys who aren't in the playoffs because that's what people were noticing during the playoffs in the football season was, that, hey, this is the bottom of Baker Mayfield. Once he's, hey, this is kind of the bottom. I need to move in now. Guys like that, you know, their stuff got real hot. We could see that in baseball. So I could see there being a little bit of a bump in baseball, certainly a bounce off the bottom anyway. I could see a certainly a preseason anticipation swing up in modern basketball. I'd expect to see that. In football, however, we're a month into the season, six weeks into the season at that point, seven weeks maybe. I don't think there's going to be that much anticipation. I think we're going to be in a midseason lull. So I don't think we're going to see this huge spike across all three sports like we've seen. But I do think we will see a lot of money move into modern basketball, especially because, like I just said, you're bouncing off the floor in baseball, right? So prices are low in baseball. Football, I believe, will be going into a midseason lull at that point, so it's low. So now you've got a lot of money freed up to go into basketball. I think that's where it's going to go. When we look back at basketball in uh, January, you know, it started on Christmas Day last year, 2020. We look at it in January. If you were looking at Starstock then, you notice that as players played well, you know, in that first month, their card prices were swinging wildly. And I think we will continue to see that this NBA season through the first few weeks at the least anyway. I mean, we saw it in football, too, a little bit. You know, players played well. Their prices responded. I think in, in basketball, especially as you go to the lower end of the spectrum there on prices, you're going to see that. The thing is, with football, really only the quarterbacks move, so you got one of 32 players who can really move. And of those 32, probably 15 of them are already high in price, so you don't see these huge moves. But in basketball, you've got so many guys who you can get optic blue velocity, optic hollow, optic raw rookies for like less than 5 bucks. And when they come out and suddenly they're starting and they drop 22 points against a, a good defense, people are like, oh my God, this player is actually good. Look at Isaac Mann in the playoffs for the Clippers last year. That stuff can blow up so fast. It's different in basketball because everybody, if they can score, can be hobby relevant. Where in football, it's really only quarterbacks and then a handful of skill positions outside of that. At least that's how it is today. So all that to say... Keep an eye on modern basketball. It's going to be really interesting to see how modern basketball reacts over the next few weeks as we go into the season, and then how prices react for players as they start to play at the beginning of the season. And it's going to be interesting to see, too. Now, I, I think it's probably easy to guess. A guy who has an optic blue philosophy for $4, who we're going to talk about later, if he plays well at the beginning of the season, his card, you know, that price is going to go to $30 for a raw, raw optic blue velocity. What's going to be more interesting to see is John Morant. Zion Williamson, who is expected to be ready day one. If they come out and play well, what are their prices going to do? Are their prices going to go through the moon? Or do they stay kind of steady or maybe even fall off as the anticipation of the new year kind of wanes? So I think all that's going to be pretty interesting. Keep an eye out for that as we move forward. And the final bit of news here, and this isn't, I mean, it is what it is. You know, there's a Kurt Warner movie coming out in December. And there's a lot of talk about it's going to boost Kurt Warner prices. And a lot of people say, no, it's not. Look at the Sosa, you know, McGuire. That didn't work. You know, the MJ was a one-of-one. One. I agree the MJ was a one-of-one. One. There is no question. I don't think another documentary will ever come out to really move the price of cards like the MJ documentary did. A Kobe one, I think, is going to have pretty big effects on Kobe cards. Yeah, I think that's fair. But, you know, I think the MJ, you know, I think that's... It's the GOAT, right? MJ's just the GOAT of all documentaries. 
This Kurt Warner one, I watched a trailer before I recorded this. It's pretty good. Looks pretty good. Looks like an actual movie. Now, I'm a sucker for Kurt Warner. I started watching football, 1998 Super Bowl. Broncos, Falcons. That's the first game I ever watched. I remember watching it still. And so I started, I, I didn't fall in love with football. I didn't really enjoy football until 1999. That's Kurt Warner's year. I've always enjoyed and liked Kurt Warner. I love his story. I worked at a grocery store for years. He famously was a bagger. I just, I just like him. I just like the guy. I do think that this is going to bring more attention to him. And I just think in general, football is going to kind of keep rising. I think football was left in the dust, and I think people are going to pick it up eventually. I do think this movie is going to drive a little bit of love around Kurt Warner. I think we're going to see his prices go up on some of his rookie cards. He's got a very limited you know, amount of rookie cards. Go out there, go look at them. They're still pretty cheap, some pretty good cheap ones out there. Uh, but I like Kurt Warner. I'm a Kurt Warner. I, I would say I'm a collector. I was I was a collect. I was a, an amasser of Kurt Warner cards earlier in my life. I have a ton of them now. I have I think I have every rookie auto that he has. Um, I don't have any refractors, but I mean I have his contenders rookie auto. So screw your refractor. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I do think this will be good for Kurt Warner prices. I don't really intend to move off of any of my Kurt Warner stuff. I like those cards. I'm not really looking to move any. Uh, but I might move into some here as we get going. Um, over the next little bit as we start, you know, getting ready for this movie coming out. I think it's going to be a good movie. It's going to be during the holiday season too, I believe around Christmas. I think it's going to be interesting. I think people are going to fall in love with Kurt Warner. Uh, just a likable guy, you know? Okay. Now that's it for the news segment. Now I want to go to uh, a segment that we're going to call now time for pig or hog. And you know, the idea of this segment is pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. I want to look at some either players or specific cards that recently sold and maybe, you know, had a lot of movement on it. And I want to talk about, is this a pig, i.e. needs to be fed, i.e. buy, or is this a hog? Needs to be slaughtered, i.e. sell. And uh, the first one I want to talk about here, I'm getting it pulled up over here so I can find the exact details. The player, Taylor Henneke. Taylor Henneke National Treasures, 2015 Rookie Auto, number to 99. Beautiful card, beautiful card, got to say. Uh, it sold for $234. <laughs> Right after um, the game Sunday night, of course, Henneke starts for the Red, for the Washington football team, and uh, they have a pretty epic win against the Falcons. And people are going nuts for Taylor Henneke. And I've watched this stuff. I've been looking at it. Taylor Henneke's a magician. He's athletic. He can move around the pocket. He's good at running the ball upfield. Taylor Henneke's not a phenomenal thrower of the football. He doesn't throw a bad ball. I'll give you that. I'll give you he doesn't throw a bad ball. And he makes some mistakes. I'm not going to sit here and look at him playing well against what is arguably the worst defense in the NFL and has been for years, the Falcons. I'm not going to look at that as some telltale sign that Taylor Henneke is the next big thing. I love his story. played in the XFL. Come back, says that helped him mature. Seems like a great dude. I like him. I like him. He's fun to watch. 
However, if you really watch those highlights, what you're going to notice is that his weapons, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel came back that game, J.D. McKissick, one of the best receiving backs in the game, Antonio Gibson, a phenomenal young back in his own right, Logan Thomas, been a great tight end for the uh, WFT this year, even uh, Ricky Seals Dwight, you know, just a professional, good tight end. Then they even have Adam Humphreys, a guy who's played well, played at a high level in the NFL. He has weapons around him. And these guys were torching that Atlanta defense. These guys were wide open. Henneke had easy throws, and he was making them. Now, I'll give Henneke this. He had easy throws, but they were under duress. I'll give him that. And that's where that little bit of magician comes in. You know, honestly, watching him kind of reminded me of Favre. Just the way he moved around, and he he really wants to sling the ball. There's a lot to like about the kid, the guy, whatever. But I think he's got a great support cast, and I think it's much ado about nothing for his skill talent. I don't believe in Tyler Henneke, Taylor Henneke. I do believe Taylor Henneke is a hog. Now, in this segment, I think I'm usually only going to do one player, but I'm going to give you another one. John Morant's prices have been booming. Again, not on any of his base stuff, but if you look at his parallels, you know, silver, blue, whatever, that stuff is moving. That stuff is getting toasty. It is moving up. And usually, my, you know, my philosophy is once the card starts moving up, it's time to move off of it, right? You're, you're going to a high point. I do think John Morant's a good player. I think he's a special player. I think he's got a lot of hobby love. These are all really important things. He needs to develop his three-point shot. There is no question. But in my opinion, John Morant is not near his peak. You know, when we see these prices, they go up and they go down. You know, and for every move, there's a peak. And for every move, there's a then valley or prior to there's a valley. In my opinion, John Morant is just beginning to grow. I actually think we're going to see a lot of growth on John Morant over the next month. And so I would say John Morant is a pig. A lot of reason to like what John Morant has going on. All right, now we're going to go over to a new set. Uh, they're all new segments, right? It's episode one. I call, I'm calling this goat talk. I don't know. We're, we're doing barnyard animals. That's all, uh, that's all we're talking about here is barnyard animals, I suppose. In this segment, each week, I'm just going to pick somebody I want to talk about. They're going to be a goat, and by goat, I don't mean actual goat. I don't mean they were raised in a barn. Oh, sorry. I don't mean that they were actually one of the greatest of all time. When you say goat, right, there's only there's a short list of goats in each sport. What I mean is Hall of Famer. But we're calling it goat talk, going with that barnyard thing. And uh, I'm just going to pick a card to look at for whatever reason, because I choose to, all right? It could be I saw someone post it on Twitter, and I think it's cool, and we're, let's just look at it. It could be interesting. It could be because I saw someone purchase it, and I just think it's a cool card. That's kind of what happened this week, y'all. It could be because it's a card that I'm hunting down right now, and uh, you know I just want to kind of highlight it and talk about it. It seems dumb, but you know, could happen. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about 1950 Bowman football, Otto Graham. That is Otto Graham's rookie. If you don't know who Otto Graham is, Otto Graham is... Yeah, actually, one of the true goats at football in football history. Quarterback, once I believe seven championships with the Browns in the fifties. The dude was a monster. 
He was just a phenomenal athlete. Uh, you know, played under Paul Brown, played with Jim Brown, played for the Browns, a lot of Brown in his life. Uh, just a great, great football player. You know, when you look at the history of the NFL quarterback, it, it you know, you go, you start with greatness with Sammy Ball in the 40s. And then from there, the next great quarterback is in the 50s, it's Otto Graham. And then it's Johnny Unitas. And in the 70s, Roger Stallback, Terry Bradshaw, whatever, pick your poison. In the 80s, of course, it's Joe Montana. You know, in the 90s, you've got Troy Aikman, Elway, Marino. And then since 2000, it's basically been Tom Brady. I guess Peyton Manning probably had a five-year run, but it's been Brady for a while now. And so, you know, errors are kind of defined by great QBs. And it blows my mind how little respect vintage football gets. And this segment's not always going to be football. It just happened to be this week. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, autogram, we talk about top quarterbacks, top players. This is like saying the same thing as saying he's the top power hitters in baseball history. Autogram, you might say, is number five or something. And his rookie card, I'm looking at it now. We're looking at sold auctions on eBay. A PSA 7 1950 Bowman sold for $2,950 on September 21st. On the 16th of September, a PSA 6 sold for $1,000. $1,000 for a PSA 6 from 1950. That blows my mind. Let's just, let's just look up a 1955 Tops Mickey Mantle. PSA. I got to type it in. Again, we're not doing... Does he not have a 55 card? Well, I don't see... Uh, there's Koufax there. Did I pick a bad year? I don't know my mantle card, y'all. I'm not in that that bracket as much. You feel me? I don't know. Let's go 1956. I'm having a hard time. Here we go. 56. That's the card I was looking for. 56. 1956 tops. October 3rd. Mickey Mantle. PSA 7. Sold for $6,911. It sold for more than double the autogram rookie. And Mickey Mantle, maybe you want to argue he's the best, most iconic baseball player of all time. Certainly the 52 tops is the most iconic card of all time. I'll give you that, but I don't think Mickey Mantle is a top baseball player of all time. You know, could you even argue he's in the top five? I don't know. He does have a triple crown, right? So, I mean, he's got obviously a phenomenal player, but there's been a lot of phenomenal players. I don't know. But for me, for an autogram rookie, same grade, to be less than double, the price of a fifth, six-year Mickey Mantle in the same grade. That kind of blows my mind. Um, just the amount of disrespect that football gets overall. Let's go. I'm going to go back to this Graham. Let me see. I'm going to go back and look at his prices, see what this looked like. As far back as we can go, let me see here. I see a BGS 8 sold in August for $2,500. That's kind of interesting. And um, hmm, hmm, hmm. let me, I thought I could have swore I put in PSA. I did put in PSA. Oh, they took me down. So in July, a three sold for 642 bucks. In August, a six sold for less than 1400. In August, a seven sold for 2850. So the card more or less has been the same over the last two, three months. It really hasn't been moving at all. Uh, I don't know. I just like Autogram. Go check out Autogram cards if you're interested in, in vintage football. Um, in my opinion, guys, when we, when we talked about fanatics earlier, we talked about how, like, 
the the industry right now is thirteen billion dollars large. And in five years, people expect it to be worth a hundred billion. You're not gonna have ninety million dollars, eighty million dollars move in here and still have all this great vintage available at prices that we can afford. And that's why I went I went ahead and bit the bullet and bought my Jim Brown rookie and my Joe Namath rookie and my United rookie because you know I paid and include throw in Walter Payton, I paid about five grand for all those, a little bit less than five grand. Good looking cards too. I don't know that there's a Jim Brown available on eBay four years from now for less than five grand. Probably for less than ten grand. And I mean that. I do mean that. You can't have $80 billion move into this industry and you have the most iconic cards in the most popular set in the U.S. sitting at two grand. Just not going to happen when the most iconic cards in baseball, you know, sell for 100 times that. Is that even right? It's probably more than that. What does a cheap Mickey Mantle go for? 52 tops. Mickey, pull it up, Jamie. Pull it up. I don't have a Jamie. I need a Jamie. My goodness. So let me see here. A Mickey Mantle PSA 1.5 sold in September for 30 grand. 52. 52 tops. Sold for 30 grand. Are you going to tell me my Jim Brown 4 is only worth 1900 You know, I just don't see it. I don't see football forever being this undervalued. I think it's super undervalued. All right, the reason we're talking about Autogram... Uh, friend of the channel and person I'm sure you all watch and or listen to. Um, personal finance dad. He bought his own autogram. I love to see it. I love to see other guys out here buying vintage. He bought, um, let's see, he bought a PSA 6. He bought a PSA 6 autogram. The one for 1,000 could have been his, which if that's the case... Great pickup, Dustin. Phenomenal pickup. Uh, he picked this up, and, you know, I like, you know, Dustin likes uh, vintage football. He talks a lot about 80s football time when he grew up and stuff like that. Take a swig of coffee here. I haven't seen him talk 50s so much and stuff like that, but I enjoy that he's buying this. You know, I love to see it. I love to see this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy anytime anyone else realizes that this vintage football stuff is freaking amazing. So, I don't know. Autogram. Probably ought to have be worth more money. Oh my God, that was butchered. I absolutely butchered that. All right, let's move on to the next segment. Maybe one that'll do a little bit better than that one, huh? Uh, this one is going to be a, a staple. I think this one's going to be pretty popular. Um, it's going to be undervalued player. I, I don't know what to call it. I haven't come up with a name yet. I wanted to call it Money in the Tim Dun Duncan. That means the bank. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, you know, PSA card collector did low hanging fruit. It's like to me, one of the best sports card YouTube video series out there. It's just so good. And he was just so spot on. And I don't like to call out like specific players and stuff like I try. I've, I've really avoided trying to do that, but at this point, you know, I just got to do it. And you know, the reason is just to share my reasoning. I think that even if I, I give you a player and I'm wrong or whatever, you know, I like to give my reasoning. And, um, so yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, usually, similar to Pig or Hog, I expect this to be just one player per week, but this time I do have two. Uh, one of them is time-sensitive is why we threw them in here, uh, but the other one, I believe, um, is just really undervalued. 
right now. And I'll tell you right now, I've bought a ton of this this first player stuff. We'll talk about the what I believe is the really good one up first. So my undervalued player for the week is going to be OG Anubi. Wing player, forward guard, whatever, for your Toronto Raptors. Now, I think people know who OG Anubi is. 2017 rookie, same as Jason Tatum, same as um, John Collins, De'Aaron Fox, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, and the list goes on. However, he does not get that much hobby love, which I understand. He's up there in Toronto. It's, you know, it's weird. It's Canada. Ain't nobody trying to know nothing about no Toronto. The first four years of his career, he's sitting up there. Early in his career, these are title contenders. You got Kawhi. You got Kyle Lowry. We're fighting for a title. He's not getting a ton of minutes. But if you look at his stats, he has continued to progress and do well over time. You know, if we look at his minutes per game, funny enough, he was actually getting 20 minutes a game in his first two seasons. He actually started his first season, but that second season, I think that's when they won the championship 2018. He only started six games. You know, but he was only attempting, you know, his rookie season, he attempted five field goals a game. Second season, six field goals. um, The bubble season, eight field goals a game. That's what he's attempting. Been a very good shooter. Last year, he attempts 12 shots per game on 33 minutes, shooting 48% from the field and 39.8% from three. This guy can put the ball through the hoop. This guy makes buckets. And when you're looking at NBA players, (laughs) the most important thing is do they score? Yes? Okay. Now we got someone we can talk about. The second most important thing is, are they a center? No? Okay, that's good. That's good. We've got a chance here, right? So everything is right for OG Anubi. Now, when we look at previous years, his usage was low, even with him starting, because you've got Kyle Lowry running the point, and you've got Pascal Siakam, among other players. They've got Serge Ibaka. You know, they've got veterans. They've got guys they want to feed. Pascal Siakam is the stud young player. However, Pascal Siakam had shoulder surgery. And he is going to be out, per their GM, at least into November. The Raptors will play seven games in October. So at a bare minimum, OG Anubi will get seven games to showcase how good he is without Siakam and now no Kyle Lowry. I believe OG Anubi will be the most used player. He will be the offensive leader for the Raptors. Now, last year on 12 shots a game, he was averaging 16 points. I compare that to Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was taking 20 shots a game. He was shooting, I think, 46 and some change from the field, so lower than OG Anubi, and I believe shooting worse at the three-point line as well. Let me double-check that, Jason Tatum. Uh, Tatum from three last year was 38.6%, where Anubi is... 39.8, so a full percent plus better. Tatum averaged like 26 points a game on roughly 21 shots and 46% field goal shooting. At 48% field goal shooting for OG Anubi, if he takes eight more shots a game, this guy's going to be scoring 25 points a game. 
This guy is how he's 24 years old, barely 24 years old. And he's going to be dropping 25 points a game to start the season. His cards are going to erupt. I'm telling you, they're going to go crazy. Now, just a little bit more before we look at some actual cards. Nick Nurse, coach, thinks Anubi looks better. He said that Anubi looks like he understands how to initiate a play better, which is good, right? Because that's talking Nick Nurse talking about him. We want him to be a primary ball handler. We want him to initiate scoring. You know, when you look at that, there's going to put a little bit more pressure on him. Is he going to shoot the same percentage, not being the goat, the 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 off player? Maybe not, but he's going to get a lot more usage, a lot more usage. And my guess is he's going to shoot more than 20 buckets a game. That's my guess. Sports Illustrated has him listed as the 59th best player in the league, up 14 slots from last year. And again, he's only 24 years old. In my opinion, OG Anubi's got everything there to be an all-star level player in the NBA. He may even be an all-star next year. Purely based off of usage, it's certainly possible. I mean, another swig of coffee. Now, right before shooting this, and I'm sorry, y'all, I I stole one right out from underneath y'all. Right before shooting this, uh, let me get on my purchase history. My goodness, I got stuff everywhere. I was looking at some of his cards, just trying to get a vibe for where they're at right now, and I saw a 2017 Prism Fast Break Auto, PSA 9. There's about 60 of these graded, 9 or better. 40 and a 9, 19 and a 10, I believe. 59 total. I bought this after shipping, $79.99, 80 bucks. 80 bucks I picked this up for. This is a Fast Break Silver Prism Auto. PSA 9, pop report 60 or less for 9 and up. Pick this up for $80, 80 bucks. It's absolutely wild to me. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to go comparing that to what Tatum goes for. It's probably 600 bucks or something. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I have no idea. Maybe 300 bucks. I don't know. I'm not going to compare it because Tatum is different. Tatum is, is more than an all-star. He's, is he the next face of the, the league? Right, Tatum's in that discussion. OG's not in that discussion. But we're not talking about next face of the league. We're talking about are their cards undervalued, and I think OG is. So what I wanted, a few sales I did see that kind of caught my eye. I've been watching these OG and newbie cards. Uh, last night, a PSA 9 hollow, optic hollow, sold for $36 plus $4 shipping, sold for $40. A couple days ago, a Bam Adebayo sold at auction. Optic Hollow Rookie 2017, same class. After shipping, $54. Now, I know, I understand Bam Adebayo, good player. Scores points, check. Is he a center? He is. Ooh, ooh. That is an issue. Being a center is a red flag. Bam Adebayo, when you look at these centers, Embiid and Jokic, why they do well in the hobby, they are the featured player in their offense. You can run an offense through Embiid and through Jokic. That's what makes them appealing in the hobby. Bam Adebayo will never be that. Bam Adebayo can be a great offensive player, but he will never be the guy you run the offense through. He's a secondary scorer on a team. OG Anubi is going to be the primary scorer, and right now you can pick up his PSA 9 Optic Hollows all day, 40 bucks. All day, 40 bucks. 
Now, I think there's going to be a lot of good plays on his stuff. I've been looking at a lot of his optic, a lot of his optic color. I think there's a lot of good stuff out there. A lot of good stuff. Even just two days ago, an optic nine hollow auto sold for 78 bucks for OG and newbie. I mean, these are good prices. Good prices for this guy. Uh, on Starstock, well, hold on. Let's talk about that OG. That OG and newbie optic nine hollow sold for $78, right? Plus $5 shipping, we'll call it 83 even. A day earlier, a Markel Fultz Optic 9 Hollow, same class, 2017, sold for 65 bucks. So for 20 more dollars, compared to Markel Fultz, you can get OG Anubi. Now, Fultz looked pretty good as he came back, but there's a lot of guard play out there in Orlando. And, you know, so what's that all going to look like? I'm not really a buyer in Markel Fultz. I do like the guy, to be honest with you. But, you know, his hobby ceiling is pretty low, I would say. OG Anubi, phenomenal wing player, scores buckets, prices are dirt cheap. You're getting silver rookie autos for under 100 bucks. hell, for under $90. I mean, to me, that, that seems like a bargain. Now, if you go on a star stock, you're going to see a lot of cheap Anubis. That's probably where I would go look first. I picked up a blue Velocity star stock B there for $4.45. Now, I'm going to guess that's a $20 card by November 1st. All day. All day. That's a $20 card by November 1st. That's my wild speculation on OG Anubi. Now, I've got up um, OG Anubi 2017 Optic. And I'm looking at uh, auctions ended recently, looking at sold listings. His base Optic is selling for nine by, seven bucks. You know, probably less than that, honestly. That's just, that one had high shipping. You know, you can buy his shock. There's a shock on Starstock. Starstock B shock for like $1.30. I mean, hello? That seems way too cheap. Here's an optic base that sold for two bucks. Looks pretty well centered. Good looking card. Another optic base there, $4.34. But again, shipping was high. But here's another one sold for 63 cents. Here's an optic red and yellow. Those are real cheap on Starstock. Optic red and yellow just sold for $4.75. I mean, all these, here's a lot of three sold for seven bucks, less than $7. You know, you're getting base optics for $2 and less all day. Here's an orange prism numbered to $199, sold for $26 after, after tax, after shipping, excuse me. Optic hollow base, not, not graded, sold for 18 bucks, less than 20 bucks. You're getting optic hollows. I'm all over OG Anubi. This guy is going to blow the league open at the start of the season. And it may, it may be a star that burns bright but burns fast. I don't know. You know, I'll be moving off this stuff as soon as it really spikes. But I do believe OG Anubi really undervalued, underrated right now, a, a one-month flip. You could buy him today, sell November 1st. That's my guess. That's what I'm thinking. That's where my headspace is at. What do y'all think? What do y'all think about OG Anubi? Anyway, the last guy I'm going to give you here is going to be a short one. We're looking at baseball. We're going into the playoffs, man. Baseball playoffs, crazy. Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker for the Astros. I don't usually like to mention Astros. I'm an Astros fan. I'm a Texans fan, Rockets fan. I'm a Houston guy. I don't like to list guys from my teams. feel like there's a little bit of uh, favoritism there, right? Obviously, I like those guys. Kyle Tucker, very quietly, has had a phenomenal year. At 24 years old, he posted a 147 WRC+, a 9% walk rate, and a measly 16% K rate. 
It's pretty small compared to a lot of these guys out there you're seeing today. He had a BAPIT of 304, which is in line or lower than possibly expected. He hit 30 home runs, and he had nearly 5 war in just 140 games. 4.8 war per fan graphs. Kyle Tucker was a, a, a couldn't-miss prospect. Drafted fifth overall by the Astros a few years back, 2015, 2014, I forget now. And uh, his hit tool was just through the roof. And, you know, basically every scout would say, like, he just can't fail. Then he comes up in the big leagues. I think in 2019 is when he got called up. That's when his tops chrome, tops rookie cards are. I think that's when he got called up. And he failed. He looked bad. He did not look good. Went back down, worked on his game, and he is absolutely murdering the ball. And what I think is probably most impressive about him and the thing you really want to watch for, when spring training started, he was listed at 199 pounds. He actually weighed in at 220. And over the course of the season, he lost two, two, 10 pounds. He's been sitting around 210 for a little while. That was all good weight. He's put on a lot of muscle. He's really filling out his frame. You know, he's a lengthy player, lanky player. He's got all the, the things you look for in these baseball players. They all like those big, tall frames. You create a lot of centripetal force and such, and he's got that. And now he's putting on a lot of weight. And he's made it clear, athletic article today, He's going to put on more weight this offseason. He's going to keep getting stronger. He hit 30 home runs at age 24, you know, after really not doing well his first couple stints up in the big leagues. This kid's going to turn it around. He's going to be, at 36, we're going to say he's a borderline Hall of Famer, is he or isn't he? You know, if he really blows up and starts hitting 45 home runs, he's clearly going to be a Hall of Famer. If he just hits 30 per year, you know, eh, 330 home runs, 360 home runs, probably not good enough to get in the Hall. 10, 15 years from now. The game's just changing so much. A lot of people hitting home runs. So I think Kyle Tucker's pretty undervalued. You know, not a lot of people talking about him. You can find some of his stuff pretty cheap. Tops Chrome. I like his Tops Chrome, you know, variation, excuse me, parallels. Pink, base refractor. Prism refractor is real cheap, stuff like that. I think there's a lot of good deals to be had out on a lot of that stuff. His base PSA 10 Tops Chrome goes for like 45 bucks. Uh, you know, could be a pretty good deal on some of that stuff. Uh, his refractor just goes really not too much more than that. His prism refractor goes like the same price. It's pretty crazy. His prism refractor is just so so cheap. Yeah, the prism refractor is just not really favored in baseball, I suppose, but that's okay. So anyway, similar to OG Anubi, that's one. Kyle Tucker, I think, is one you know you could look at if he plays well in the playoffs. His card's obviously going to see some love. Uh, could be one to flip then. Uh, but Kyle Tucker is one who I think that he's going to have a very successful borderline Hall of Fame MLB career. And, uh, you know, he's one that I think if you, if you bought now and it's at a low point, um, you know, you're not going to be too upset over five, you know, over a few years. You're going to be able to make some money uh, off of him. The, the biggest knock for him, and this is coming from someone who's in Houston, um, the media does not like Houston teams, and they especially hate the Astros now. And so there's always just kind of this ire around Houston teams and especially the Astros. And so that's always going to kind of hamper his prices, um, you know. But very few Houston Astros here are here for long. They usually find their way to New York, hashtag Carlos Correa. Anyway, that's just what I think. What do I know about that? All right, let's move on now. Um, the next thing we'll do is uh, my takes for next week. You know, we've got a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, in, in sports. And I just want to kind of give some predictions for what might happen next week. In the sports card world, you know, we've got baseball playoffs going on. 
basketball season is warming up. You know, we're two weeks, two weeks to the day from uh, from kickoff, from tip off, I should say. And of course, football season's in full swing. So uh, my prediction is that over the next week, an established veteran hitter will do very well in the market. Of course, I'm talking about baseball. Um, and you know what am I saying here? And when you look at these these games, these teams, there are a ton of phenomenal veteran hitters with impressive resumes behind them that are in these playoffs. Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Freddie Freeman, Christian Yelich. You look at the White Sox, and there's mostly young players there. I don't want to talk about those. You go to the Cardinals, you've got Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. The Yankees, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge. You know, he's a younger player. He's a veteran at this point. Xander Bogarts for the Red Sox. You have got phenomenal talent across these teams. And one of these guys, Buster Posey. Oh, I left out Chris Bryant, I think. Buster Posey, Chris Bryant, hell, Evan Longoria. Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford. You know, you've got all these guys, and their prices, when you go look at their prices, they're, they're actually all kind of low. All these guys, you know, I mean, you know, Hall of Fame or not, who knows, but a lot of these guys, especially as they're a little bit younger, they're on track for the Hall of Fame. And someone's going to play well. And I think that whoever do, does, their stuff's really going to really gonna pop um, and I think, you know, if you really want to go crazy, put some wild bets out there. I think uh, Cody Bellinger is one to put a little bit of money on. Now, I said that before the season, and I was dead-ass wrong. <laughs> Bellinger had about the worst season you could p- possibly have. And I actually do mean that. I mean, his season was atrocious. But, you know, Bellinger played well in the postseason in the past. And maybe flipping that switch from September to October... Maybe that's going to help him play a little bit better as they move into the postseason. Now, of course, they're a wild card team. They do have to win a game. Same as Yankees, Red Sox, you know. Yankees, Red Sox, Cardinals, Dodgers. They got to win a game, you know, and then they get into a season, a real series. You want to focus on guys who are in real series. So that's my take on kind of the playoffs, and I got one more take for you for next week. It's kind of right now. I think baseball offseason has already started. We saw it in football, right? We talked about it. January, February, prices were hitting their bottom in football. And looking back, we see that now. I don't think that's going to change for baseball. People are still thinking baseball is going to be a low in December. I think they're wrong. I think we're already at the low. We've already seen Juan Soto bounce. Acuna looks like he's at a low. There's a lot of guys out there who have kind of hit their bottom. And, you know, if you want to buy into baseball for next offseason, it might be a good time, or for next season, excuse me, it might be a good time to be, start buying now. It's just, I mean, it might just be the nature of the beast right now. But one guy I wanted to talk about who may not be at his low, but is definitely worth keeping an eye out on, Jared Kelnick. Now, Kelnick, Kalenic, Kalenic, I don't know, guys. I don't, I don't speak Nordic. Heavily touted prospect comes up. Prices soar when he comes up, and he plays worse than Cody Bellinger. I mean, he's playing so bad, and he goes back down. Over the course of this season, 
His WRC plus at the major league level was 73. That is absolutely atrocious. WRC plus league average is 100. In today's day and age, you don't see very many below 100, actually. 73 is bad. However, since September 1st, Kalenic gets called back up, has 118 plate appearances since September 1st. Of course, was part of the key cogs of that miraculous Seattle run that unfortunately for them fell a bit short. He has a WRC plus of 135. He hit seven home runs in the last month of the season. That guy was on absolute fire. If you look at his prices, his prices did trend up. Trend up. But Seattle was getting a lot of mojo for what they were doing so late in the season. And rightly so. And so Kalenic to me is a good guy. Keep your eye on him. Keep your eye on Kalenic. His prices may drop a little bit as they, you know, come off of the, hey, they may make the postseason and they, and they missed it. That may cause his prices to drop a little bit as we move forward. So keep your eye out for that and, uh, you know, see if maybe he does hit a bottom somewhere in the next two months. Bobby Witt. Always keep your eye out for Bobby Witt. All right. We got two more um, segments left. Uh, We got one here I'm going to call Hobby Positivity. I want to talk about something I see positive in the hobby one way or the other. Um, I see great stuff on Twitter sometimes and, you know, donations and fun. There's so much great stuff in the hobby. And, um, you know, certainly in a lot of content, we just focus on cards and what's happening, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I want to talk about something that people are doing out here, you know, for the good of the hobby. And I want to give a, a shout out to eBay seller Super Collect 22, the numbers. Super Collect 22. I, uh, this guy listed an, an Adrian Peterson 2007 score atomic card. Beautiful, beautiful rookie card. I loved pulling these out of packs back in the day. They're not numbered, uh, but they are beautiful cards. He listed it at 20 bucks, and I saw, I saw it when it was listed. I, I have, I have noties up for Adrian Peterson listings. 20 bucks in free shipping. I was like, man, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, I might buy it. I said, you know what? Let me watch it. If he offers me anything short of 20, I'm going to take it. I'm going to buy this card. A couple days later, he offers me 15 bucks. I immediately accept. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a great deal. Love this card. Beautiful card. Looks to be in good shape. Can't wait to get my hands on it. Eh, 36 hours passes, and I see that I get a refund for the card. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I paid for this card. I was excited about this card. You know, this is a card that I, I remember from my childhood. It's a great card, beautiful card. And then, you know, it's not some $2,000 card, or I don't even think it's ever going to be, you know, even more than a $100 card. You know, but I just, I like the card. Now, I wanted it. I was, I was happy to get it. I got it a good deal, you know. You like good deals. And I'm like, you kidding me, man. And I look at his message, and he's like, hey, man, I really enjoy your content, and I just want to say thank you, you know, for the content that you do. And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and refund you the money and send you the card anyway. I reached out, man. He's so nice. Dude loves, and so his, his name is Super Collect 22, right? 22 being Emmett Smith. He loves Emmett Smith cards. Uh, Super Collect, you know, if you see this, hear this, read this, um, you know, I'll message you on eBay, but I have a ton of Emmett cards. And uh, if you, you have some that you know you need, I think I messaged you this already, you know, feel free to ping me. You know, I have a ton of them. I've been collecting them for a long time. So i um, happy to send any of your way. So thanks so much for that. I really appreciate that. It's a beautiful card. And uh, one I might actually get graded and just hold on to it for like a long time because I really do like that card. And I think it'll look cool in the SGC slab. 
Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. And there's a lot of other hobby, hobby positivity out there that's not focused around me. Uh, but I always just start putting these show notes together a few days ago. So this is the one I had for this week. Uh, we'll focus on some other things uh, in the future. All right, moving on to our last segment for today. Uh, this is Q&A. And uh, I hope that this is a, um, a continued thing here. Uh, what I'll do is uh, during the week, if people you know, ask questions on my uh, YouTube videos in the comment section, uh, I'll snip them if I think they're, they're good and that other people can uh, use. Um, and uh, I'll bring them in here to answer them as best I can and also to offer it up to the community to answer if they're interested. And uh, so the first question is uh, from Business124. He says, Hi, Dakota. Thinking of using my slabs seems easy enough, but when you sell, do you have to send the buyer a PayPal invoice? Is that how it works? Thanks, Business124, for the question. I appreciate that. Uh, my slabs is pretty simple. All purchases, all that stuff is handled through PayPal. So when someone buys a slab from you on PayPal, or excuse me, on my slabs, um, they're prompted to pay through PayPal. You don't have to do anything. Once they buy a card from you, you need to wait for them to pay. They'll pay through PayPal, and once they've paid through PayPal, then you can go into PayPal and ship through PayPal. Easiest way to do it, uh, you get the same shipping rates, you know, the three bucks or whatever, as you do on eBay. So great question. It's super easy. You're right. Uh, you know, keep doing you business one, two, four. Um, another one here, uh, we had a pretty interesting one here. So if you go back a couple of days in my uh, video variants, I talked about variants and I talked about like kind of a cone. Uh, Saggy here, Saga, I'm sorry, brother, says a long time viewer, first time commenter. Appreciate you. Definitely an interesting video and exercise. I generally look at the concept as a trading range. And whenever possible, I try to snipe cards in auctions that I'm targeting somewhere around the bottom of their range. It's a great way that he put it. It's a trading range, right? If we, if we know going into an auction or, or a card that we're looking at, its price can, ve can vary 20% up or down from where the average is, uh, we know then that its trading range is 20% lower, 20% higher, and we want to target that bottom 20%. Well, it was a great, great comment there. And I want to get to one more question. Let me pull this up. Actually, I just saw this right before I started going here. This was a great question. Let me go. Um, let me find this sucker. Here we go. This is from Oh No. <laughs> great name. Uh, oh No asks, anyone know if eBay is going to start 1099ing sales starting next year? Remember hearing that, but haven't heard anyone mention it again. And in short, I have no idea. Oh No. Oh No. I don't know the answer. Uh, but I'm, I'm offering this one up to the community. Community would love to hear your feedback on this. Um, you know, if you're on YouTube, leave a comment down below. If you're on the podcast, uh, you know, check, check me out on Twitter. Give an answer there, and I can, I can post up the answer. So a uh, question again is eBay going to start 1099ing sales starting next year? And I don't know the answer to that. Hopefully, and I'm sure, this wise community will know. All right, y'all. So that's the last segment for this week. Uh, starting next week. We will have one more segment, and that segment is going to be a discussion, an interview, whatever you want to call it, uh, with you, with someone from the community. Uh, I put that out in one of my recent videos. I asked uh, people in the community, hey, send me an email if you're interested in coming on the show. We'll do 15, 20 minutes pre-recorded. Um, we're going to start by asking who you are, what's your hobby story, and then uh, instead of me grilling you with questions and forcing your opinion, 
I'm going to give you the rest of that time as an open platform to talk about what you want to talk about in the hobby. We'll just have a discussion. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in doing something like this, if you're on YouTube, all my video descriptions, I put my email in there. Check that out. Podcast, you can reach me on Twitter. Or send me an email, sportscardsanonymousyt at gmail.com. Sportscardsanonymousyt at gmail.com. If you want to know my Twitter handle, it's at SCAnonymous underscore YT. Sorry, I could not find a convenient Twitter handle. I'll look for a better one, but that's the best I could do. I'm so sorry. All right, y'all. That's going to be it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to do this content for a while. It took me a little while to figure out exactly what I wanted it to look like, how the flow to go and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, this is the, the first, first pass. Uh, all feedback is welcome, positive and negative. I appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, my friends, as always, keep collecting.